This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I am Chris Basinger, and joining me today is my good friend, Andy Hewling. Andy, how are you doing? Doing great, Chris. Doing great. And our number one Liverpool correspondent, my dad. How are you doing, dad? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. How are you, Chris? I'm doing quite well. Quite excited. Andy and I just got back from a baseball game. Wasn't the best baseball game, but we had a fun time watching it. Uh, So anyway, let's get right into it. This week, Liverpool hosted 18th place Bournemouth as the Reds looked to bounce back after a 3-0 loss to Watford and elimination from the FA Cup at the hands of Chelsea. The Cherries scored a controversial early goal, but Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane answered to make the final score 2-1 Liverpool. Brighton traveled to Wolves for a rather uneventful match, seeing each team register only one shot on target, ending in a 0-0 draw, hurting Wolverhampton's chances of reaching the Champions League as they sit two points behind fifth place. Arsenal edged closer to the top of the table as their win against West Ham makes it nine in a row, unbeaten in the league. The pitch side monitor sees some use in the Southampton-Newcastle game as uh, Dinepa gets sent off for an awful stamp and St. Maximin scores and celebrates in style as the Magpies win 1-0. Sheffield United and their overlapping center backs continue to impress as they beat last place Norwich 1-0 in an, in an unlucky game for the Canaries who had a 2.55 XG. Crystal Palace bring Watford back down to earth after a 1-0 win sees Roy Hodgson's team come within a point of top 10. Bad week for Tottenham as they stumbled to a 1-1 draw against Burnley after being eliminated by Norwich in the FA Cup and penalties. It didn't get any better today for Jose's team, losing 3-0 away to RB Leipzig and being eliminated from the Champions League. Chelsea dismantled Everton as they convincingly won 4-0. 18-year-old Billy Gilmore retained his spot in the starting 11. Goals were netted by Mason Mount, Pedro, Willian, and Olivier Giroud. Manchester United completed the double over Manchester City in the league for the first time since the 2009-2010 season, winning 2-0 and bringing Liverpool within six points of clinching the Premier League title. For now. Finally, Leicester batter Aston Villa after a run of poor form, winning 4-0. Jamie Vardy was subbed in in the 59th and went on to score two goals, putting putting him atop the Golden Boot race with 19 goals so far. And I think the best place to begin this week is, of course, with Liverpool, who controversially fell behind in a no-call foul in the direct build-up to Callum Wilson's goal uh, in which he allegedly pushed Joe Gomez. Uh, Dad, how did VAR miss this push? Uh, It was an incredibly surprising call. Uh, I think we're seeing once again uh, that that VAR has a people problem, um, that the people who are operating VAR seem to disagree with each other about what the rules are from week to week or from game to game. You'll see one game where a player stamps on another player and it's not called anything. Another game where a player stamps on a player in a similar looking situation and it's a red card. Uh, you can take another situation with the uh, when uh, Harry Maguire kicked out and didn't get anything called, but then when Son kicked out a week before, it gets sent to a red card. So there's incredible inconsistency that they've got to address. And this is one of those situations where you see what appears to be a clear push, an upper body foul, no attempt to play the ball by Callum Wilson, and Joe Gomez stumbles, 
but doesn't go down. He tries to stay up. He doesn't flail, flail around like Neymar would. Stays <laughs> up, and instead of calling the foul, they end up just waving play on. It wasn't apparently a clear and obvious error, although to everyone else it was clear and obvious, and uh, it ends up resulting in a goal. Controversial goal, to, to say the least. Yeah, we, we can all agree that um, it, it did seem like a judgment call. Do you think uh, that instead of having on-field referees serve as VAR referees uh, once a week, that there should be referees whose sole job it is to work in the VAR booth in order to uh, maximize the efficiency of that position and minimize the issues. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what we want more than anything else is for these judgments to be reliable. And the definition of reliable, whether you're talking about a, a science class or a statistics class or just in, in general life, something is reliable if when you go back to it, you get the same result every time, or at least very similar results every time. And this is a situation where we're just not getting that. And so the way potentially to make VAR more reliable is to have the same people with just that job where they're just evaluating. But I really think the other problem with the way the VAR is used is the recommendation should have been made, go look at the pitch side monitor, Mm. right? That I don't if the referee watches that back, if Paul Tierney watches that play after the game, he would be embarrassed by the call that he made. But he had the opportunity to address that call right there during the game and eliminate the controversy if he had simply gone over and looked at the pitch side monitor because I don't think that you can watch that play and, and, and yield any other decision than that was not an attempt on the ball that was an upper body foul. It clearly changed the positions of the two players. And it's embarrassing that I made the wrong call, but you know, it's understandable given the angle that he had on the play, but give him the chance to make the right decision instead of being embarrassed about it afterwards. Yeah. We saw, uh, halfway through the season, uh, the referees association come out with a change that, uh, referees can now go over to the pitch side monitor uh, whenever a red card offense uh, is in question, but I I don't believe that has uh, been in place for any other instances, which I agree 100% should be uh, in this instance. The pitch time monitor has been there all season, and they've only been using it for the second half of the season and only in specific instances. And if you look at any other league, they use it whenever they can because it maximizes the ability to make the correct calls, undoubtedly. I, I agree with this because I think when you look at like te- the, the leagues like MLS, mm-hmm. they are using the pitch side monitor most of the time, like you said, to kind of maximize those opportunities. But I kind of look at, um, you know, you look at like other, you know, sports like college football. They're using the uh, video replay all the time mm-hmm. to make sure these calls are made. Like soccer is already a long sport. Why not? You t- why not take the five minutes? And, you know, check it out and make sure that it's right. So that way you get these games and these, you know, decisions correctly made on the field. And then that way, you know, you don't have people questioning, maybe this should have been called right. Maybe this should have been a goal. Maybe this should have been offside, not offside. And I think that that's what they need to do is they need to take the time to do that. And I'd even like to see, like they do on college football games, is have someone explain to the fans watching 
what the call is because it's so unclear so many times with VAR how these decisions are being made. So I'd like to see some more clarity on both sides from the rules officials, but then even just from a broadcasting standpoint, let's like talk about like why they're making this call because it's so unclear. Yeah, especially in the XFL, uh, they have cameras and microphones inside the review booth, and you can hear everything that uh, the reviewer is saying. You can hear any, everything that the uh, referee is saying. And also, uh, I believe in rugby, um, they had that too, where everyone who's watching the game is uh, uh, able to hear what the referee is talking about. So at least you understand why they are making that call. Uh, there was, of course, that missed call uh, last week um, too that uh, had had a lot of controversy behind it. So there's uh, there have been many situations like this. But after that, goals came from Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, but Liverpool failed to put away the game and in the second half were rescued by a goal line clearance from known Ribena connoisseur James Milner. Um, how how massive was that uh, in, in the context of the game? Uh I think it was big in the context of the game, but probably not that big in the context of the season. Um, but it, I think it was a really good, because, you know, let's be honest, Liverpool is now six points away from clean, clinching the championship. They could, in fact, clinch the championship without even kicking another soccer ball, depending on Manchester City's next two results. Now, I think it's unlikely that Manchester City is going to drop points in either of their next two games. Um, but I think in the in the grand scheme of things, it probably won't affect the outcome of the season that much. But it has, I think, an effect on maybe on the team and the team chemistry and the team psychology to like know that there are players that are on this team who will give absolutely everything for this team. I, I feel like the team had a big drop-off losing Jordan Henderson first mm. and then James Milner and not having those two captain quality players. I think, you know, it was interesting last season, there were a number of people who were arguing and, and by people arguing, I mean on like the blood red podcast, Facebook group, not professional journalists, not commentators, not, you know, Jamie Carragher, but common fans arguing Virgil van Dyke, the wall, he acts like such a captain. Why isn't he the captain? Why don't we just award him the captain's armband now? But he was the captain for a few games with Jordan Henderson out of the game and with James Milner injured. And I think you can see this is a team that needs someone with fire, mm. someone with some real spirit, uh, someone who's willing to give everything to the team. There was a joke that Jordan Henderson is the only player that the coaches have had to sit out and force him to stop in practice because his heart rate is so high because he won't slow down, he won't calm down, even during practice. And I think they've been missing that player. And Milner coming back in, and Milner showing, especially some of the younger players, and making an example of that never-quit attitude, I think is really vital for the way that Liverpool play the game. Yeah, Jordan Henderson, of course, has been uh, out injured for the last few games contributing to Liverpool's dip in form, but is now in training. Uh, Jurgen Klopp said that he would be 100% fit uh, for the Atletico Madrid game tomorrow night. Um, and like you said, Liverpool could clinch the title uh, 
either before kicking a ball against Everton on Monday night um, or against Monday night. Uh, we actually just have some breaking news that the Arsenal-Manchester City game, due to happen tomorrow, has been postponed due to coronavirus concerns, um, which we'll get into in a minute. But uh, if if City lose to Burnley, um, then Liverpool could potentially clinch the title uh, uh, before playing Everton. But well, let's let me just yes. say that that may not happen for one reason alone. Uh, breaking news earlier today was that they have assigned the referees to the uh, yes. the Merseyside Derby. Yes. And Liverpool's least favorite referee, Martin Atkinson, has been named the referee for that game. So, and you now, look excited uh, <laughs> by now that. I know about pessimist. Martin Atkinson. Well, <laughs> very, very too much. So. <laughs> yes. But uh, Atletico, of course, are traveling to Liverpool tomorrow. Henderson will be back in the game. Allison, however, will still be out injured, and Allison will be out for the Merseyside Derby, uh, it appears. But with Henderson returning into the team and that fire coming back into the team, how do you think? How do you see things shaping up in the build-up and in the tactics for this game? Um, well, I, I suspect that we're going to see similar tactics to what we saw in the in the game down in Madrid. Um, that we'll essentially see Atletico Madrid setting up with six at the back. Uh, two midfielders and two forwards, uh, both of whom are probably deep in their own half most of the time uh, and simply trying to counterattack. Um, when that happens, what you tend to see from Liverpool is they adopt something like a 3-2-5 formation um, where you have the um, two center backs plus uh, Fabinho will typically drop back. In fact, it's interesting during a few of the games when Jordan Henderson has been out, um, what you've seen is uh, Genie Wijnaldum will drop back with uh, the two central defenders, mm-hmm. but he'll drop back on the outside of those two. So you might have them stacked across the back, Wijnaldum, then Gomez, then Van Dyke. And what that allows them to do with three central defenders, essentially, one of whom is a slightly faster midfielder, that allows them to outnumber those Atletico Madrid forwards three to two, um, the, and then you have your two real central midfielders, which in this case will, I hope, be Jordan Henderson and James Milner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so I'm I'm asking for Wijnaldum, Henderson, Milner, the, the classic tried and trusted midfield of Liverpool. Yeah, which which I mean. There's, there's a lot of argument for playing Fabinho because he plays that central defensive role so well when he's fit and when he's sharp. I don't think he's particularly fit or sharp right now. Um, and I like so much what, what James Milner contributes to, to this team. Um, and then you essentially have five forwards. <laughs> and the five forwards are actually two fullbacks and the regular, the regular three forwards because Trent and Bravo get so high up the pitch. Yes, so, of course. Uh, the the matchup to watch, of course, will be the um, uh, who's uh, the the Atletico Madrid right back that used to play for Tottenham, uh, Kieran Trippier. Uh, Kieran Trippier against Rabo or Sadio Mane. 
that will be uh, uh, fascinating because Trippier missed the match um, down at the Metropolitano, mm-hmm. and he's apparently aching for an opportunity to play against Liverpool. Also, another thing I think to watch is uh, Jal Felix being back. He scored a goal Saturday uh, against, I believe it was the Athletic Bilbao, I think they played them. Mm. Um, 2-2 draw there. But I think him being back in the team will give Atletico a little bit of um, a flair that Liverpool's going to have to look out for. But I think it's going to be more of a defensive game. So if they can get Felix out on the counterattack, he can pose a threat for Liverpool. But... I think Atletico is going to have to be mentally and physically strong in this game. Mentally, because they're going to have to deal with the Anfield crowd. And, you know, obviously with the coronavirus fears, you thought that these games would be played behind closed doors, but they're not because this just came out and it's too late to stop any fans from coming. But I think to deal with that Anfield crowd is going to be really tough. But then they're also going to have to be physically tough, of course, playing the game itself. Uh, against this Liverpool team who's going to be aching for goals after not scoring in that first leg. And I think, you know, like you said, Mane, Firmino, Saul, they're going to be really, really um, fast on the counterattack. And the defense like in Trippier, they're going to have to really, really play strong or it, it could be 4-0 by, you know, halftime. Is That's how good Liverpool is. Yeah, we've, of course, seen this before. Uh, Spanish opposition coming up on aggregate to Anfield, and we all know... Uh, of course, how that ended. But uh, there, of course, have been concerns uh, around this game and around many other games uh, due to uh, the coronavirus uh, posing threats to uh, uh, fans being able to attend matches and matches even happening at all. In Italy, uh, they have over 10,000 confirmed cases and have suspended all Serie A games until at least April and we're already playing games behind closed doors before that decision was made recently. However, all international games, i.e. the Europa League and Champions League, will continue. Spain has over 1,600 confirmed cases and will have all matches behind closed doors for a minimum of two weeks. Germany has over 1,400 cases, but has stated that the season will continue as planned, although the second leg of Chelsea at Bayern will be played behind closed doors. Is it just a matter of time before... um, this this issue starts to hit the UK. We, of course, heard uh, earlier tonight that the Arsenal-Manchester City game has been postponed. Uh, it was due to happen tomorrow night, but it has been postponed. There have been 382 confirmed cases in the United Kingdom, and uh, Arsenal were in contact with the owner of Olympiacos, who did test positive for the coronavirus uh, the other day. And Arsenal has played two games since then. They played against Portsmouth, in the FA Cup, and they played against West Ham in the Premier League. Do do you think that uh, the the steps that are being taken in uh, Spain and in the rest of Europe uh, are going to be taken in the Premier League sooner or later? Is that a question for me? It's a question for the crowd. Um, well, I thought those steps already had been taken because I've seen a couple games at um, the empty hot stadium in Manchester City, and it appeared <laughs> that they were playing with no fans present. Well, they uh, wouldn't have an advantage either way. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it, I think I'm going to say this quote, how Pep said it today. You know what? We might as well not play at all because like, if you're not going to have the fans, we, we might as well not play. I mean, he's got a point. Like, I want to play. Of course you want to play Champions League. It means a lot. 
But the fans are what make this sport what it is to me uh, because their atmosphere and their passion for each club. And, I mean, just imagine as a Liverpool fan, like, you, if they play behind closed doors, you won't get to hear you never walk alone until this whole thing is over. Like, you won't get to hear, you know, the fans get riled up when Liverpool scores a goal. It'll just be quiet, and you won't get to hear there, that. There is a real threat uh, that I've heard James Pierce has reported that there is a real threat to the uh, parade that would take place if uh, cases keep going up, uh, that they might not have a parade at all, which would be quite disappointing uh, it's okay. after, after 30 years. Um, Y'all can party in a pub somewhere. Right. Jurgen Klopp has, of course, uh, talked on this issue, saying that he is, of course, a football manager and uh, does not believe that he should be the one uh, asked about these issues. Uh, back to what you were saying about Pep, I, I do think that Pep uh, was trying to save his own skin because he is suffering the worst season that he has ever had with, uh, I believe, seven losses uh, in the league so far. So uh, do you think it could be part of that? Mm, nah. I mean, I, sure. I mean, it, we don't feel good after <laughs> this little uh, blip that we're having blip. here. But you know what? I still think that City has a chance to still make some history. You know, there's still a treble out there, second straight treble in a row uh, for two straight years. You never know uh, if that if the Champions League keeps going. But uh, we'll, we'll see what will happen. Uh, obviously, you know, Pep, I think he's a smart guy. Like, he, he knows what he's talking about um, most of the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I think for the coronavirus, I, I think that these measures are going to have to be taken. And it, it really hurts the fans. I think we all know that, that the fans are the ones being who get to suffer. I mean, just think about, like, back when the fall comes for college football, if this is a fear that people have, we may not be able to go to Jordan-Hare Stadium just, you know, right over here and be able to cheer on the Auburn Tigers, and same for anyone around college football. Like, if you just put it in perspective, like, this could be happening in America soon. Uh, so, you know, obviously it hurts the fans, and I think that's, like, the number one issue. And Pep's like, well, we want to play with our fans because they're the ones that support us week in and week out. Well, I, I mean, something to think about, though, is they may not want to play without the fans, and I have something to add about that, the, the role of fans in just a second. But first, I wanted to make the point. They also have television contracts, and most of the money does not come from the, the fans in the stands during the game. So Liverpool just recently released their financial numbers for the year, um, and it was an outstanding year. Uh, their profits were amazing. Their turnover was amazing. Um, but one of the more surprising things was that ticket sales and attendance of the game um, grew much slower than many of the other categories, commercial and um, television rights. And um, and so television provides a huge chunk of the funding for these teams. And so they have contracts that they need to, to honor, which is why they're playing games in front of closed stadiums, because it's it, they're at least fulfilling those responsibilities. But I think it is it is sad to watch games being played in front of empty stadiums. Um, something that um, Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference right after Liverpool lost at Atletico Madrid was he was uh, he used an analogy for the crowd at the Wanda Metropolitano, and I just keep thinking back on this. And he said, 
it was like they got to go to the petrol station again and again, and we had to run the whole game on a single tank. Mm. And I thought that was a really great description of the role that the fans can play is that, you know, they help refill your tank over and over again whenever you get tired. Um, and so I suspect we'll see, we'll see some of that tomorrow night in the same way that we saw Diego Simeone really playing to the fans when they were in Madrid, right? I mean, constantly, it seemed like he spent more time yelling to the fans and waving his arms and trying to get them pumped up more than he was trying to communicate to his players because he understands the effect that that has on the players themselves. Diego Simeon is the Bruce Pearl of Atletico Madrid football. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I can see it. He literally gets, you know how Bruce does, like when we're in a big moment in the game, he gets the whole fans up. That is literally Diego Simeon. Yeah, I, I have seen Diego Simeone lose his jacket a few times during games too, and Bruce is, uh, you you know that we're we're gonna have to play well when uh whenever he takes that off. Uh, but moving on to uh this week's match of the week, uh the Manchester Derby, well where City fell short to Manchester United, uh two nil goal scored by Martial on a set piece chipped by Bruno Fernandez, uh who is believed to be uh the greatest player uh by Manchester United supporters in the past ten years. Um and even better than Fred? Oh, 53 million Fred <laughs> the legend better than Pogba. Uh but that's a whole debate on its own. Uh and McTominay finished it off in the 96 after Ederson hurled the ball into his path um hilariously it was comically. Like, like Loris Carius. <laughs> oh, about that level, yes. Um uh Manchester United had a 1.74 xG compared to United's, um, or no, Manchester United had a 1.74 xG compared to Manchester City's uh, 0.59. Pep said after the game, "quote We played so good, and we and refused to acknowledge any suggestion of Ederson, uh, Ederson's poor showing being connected to the loss." Uh, Andy is Pep Guardiola in denial of this? Yeah, a little bit. I. I, I can understand where he's coming from. The fact that the two goals that were given up were kind of... They weren't... I guess the first goal was class from Martial. I, I still debate that he was offside by a hair. You can debate that with me all you want. Uh, but the second goal was shouldn't have been given up. It should have been 1-0. Uh, the way the game went out, it was very defensive. City had a few chances, but not many. Uh I just think United had the game plan. City did not. Despite the goals, I think obviously Ederson's performance was bad. The defense had some blips. There were moments where Ederson almost literally had an own goal at one point, had to slide his foot around Martial just to get it away and even uh, made Martial hit the post and hurt himself. So not a good game at all. Uh, Very disappointed, especially – uh, after this kind of run that City made where they were winning games, especially the Real Madrid game was a high. Uh, don't know what happened or what changed, but Man United had a game plan. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer really took it to them, and, yeah, City paid for it. Is uh, Ole uh, the greatest manager since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson? No. As, I, as United fans will have you believe. No, he's not. I I think United fans 
they're seeing the improvement of this team, like little by little. I think they're getting better because he's adding pieces to the puzzle, but I don't think he's going to solve it yet. I, I, I just, I think they're, well, first of all, their front office needs some help, but also the, the players on the field, he's got, I feel like he still has so much talent on the field that still isn't even being used to their full capacity because Pogba has been at the club for you know so long now and we haven't seen anything out of him like we saw at Juventus where he was a star. Uh, same for, I feel like same for Marcus Rashford at times. Rashford has moments where he looks really, really good on the pitch, but then there are, really, there are times where he just does not look good at all. And I think Ole is doing a good job to like save his job, but right now I'm still not seeing improvement. And the fact that they're not where they want to be, because like let's face it, Manchester City, sure they lost to them, but they're so far ahead of United in the table. They've won more trophies the last you know f- three years than United has. Like they are enjoying a wealth of success, even though it doesn't look pretty right now. And I think United wants to be where City is and expects to be where City is, but they're not. Yeah, um, Paul Pogba, as you mentioned, has not been uh, shown in games and is expected to leave Manchester United at the end of the season. Uh, Like you said, uh, Ole, to me, seems to have um, this philosophy, and I know that you agree with me, Dad, that um, he, he tries to put 11 players on the pitch and see how well they work without much of a game plan. His idea for the longest time at the, I would say, the first half of the season before he got Bruno Fernandes was, okay, let's put 11 players onto the pitch, see how well they work together, and next week I'll take off one of them and put on another one and just trying to fit this jigsaw together uh, and, and make it the yeah. right. Yeah. That, that's also a description, I think, of how Frank Lampard um, mm. was managing earlier in the season. That there, there certainly has been some trial and error. Um, and at first, right, remember how the season started out with Manchester United defeating Chelsea four to nothing. Um, so, you know, which, which <clears throat> I don't think if you replay that game today, that it ends up four to nothing Manchester United. Um, I think in the, in the time that has passed during the season, I think Frank Lampard has really learned his team. Um, and Manchester United has, I think, identified one strategy that works reasonably well against some opponents, right? So, uh, for example, <clears throat> the, the strategy that I'm talking about, at least formation-wise, is five defenders, three central midfielders, and two forwards, and mostly relying on the other team possessing the ball and counterattacking. Um, and they've had success with their defense. Uh, Manchester United's defense has been pretty solid this year. Um, buying Harry Maguire was certainly a good purchase. Buying Aaron Juan Basaka was uh, maybe the best purchase that they made during the offseason. Um, but certainly adding Bruno Fernandez has given this team some new spirit. But this is a team that when the other team controls the ball and has the majority of the possession, Manchester United can sit back and counterattack and does that successfully. But what if they play Burnley? Right? What if they play against another team that is more willing to sit back, seed possession, and counterattack? 
right? So Manchester United played Burnley recently and lost two to nothing to Burnley. Now Manchester United had seventy five percent possession, right? So Burnley did to Manchester United what Manchester United just did to Manchester City: sit back, feed possession, not get as many shots, not get as many crosses but score more goals because they had quality in their finishing. And so I, Manchester United may continue to improve by small bits as they sort of get better at this particular tactic. But there are enough teams that they're going to come up against in the Premier League that are more willing to sit back and feed possession that I don't see Manchester City being anything better than a fifth-place team over the next couple seasons. I just don't think... I don't think they have enough quality um, around the pitch. I, they'll be better when Marcus Rashford gets back. But again, Marcus Rashford is only that style of player. Incredibly fast, right? Can do a lot when he picks up the ball at midfield and has to outrace two defenders. Mm. But they're not a team that can build. They're not a team that can pass around and find openings. Um, and so I think that's going to be a limitation on how much they can accomplish is they're only set up to play one particular way. Right. City had 73% of possession uh, in this match, 761, and barely over half the shots that United had. City had um, seven shots, and United have 12, uh, just showing how much United benefited from City's style of play. Uh, Andy, do you think that uh, City's style of play is going to have to change for the rest of the season, or do you think Pep is going to stick it out and just do player management. I don't think it has to change, but I think the the biggest thing I saw, and I, I thought it was the turning point in the game, was just the fact that United, like your dad said, is they sat back and they waited for chances. And sure, the goals didn't come from counterattacks. I think they, they came close to getting goals on counterattacks. But I think City's problem, they just couldn't finish in the final third, and that's so unlike them. Uh, they've gone into... Manchester Derby's being the aggressor the past couple of years, and that's really proven to be the difference because United wasn't able to attack. But I think the the biggest thing is like we we mentioned earlier is the defense has been improved for United. They've bought guys that have quality like Harry Maguire, and I thought Aaron Juan Bissaka played a really good game yesterday. He was able to stop Sterling quite a few times uh, on the wing and make plays and really cause chaos. So I think. You know, obviously, City learned a lesson. Uh, the fact that they're going to have to improve their game against teams like that, and they're going to have to score because otherwise, they're going to give up the counterattack on the other end because their defense is not where it used to be. I mean, you had Vincent Company last year. That's such a key factor for City. He's kind of like the Virgil Van Dyke of Liverpool. Um, but you know, it, you you never know um, what's going to happen in these games because uh, obviously the Manchester Derby is such a big game and really heated. But the fact that City can finish and and uh, especially after what they did to United in the last time they met at Old Trafford uh, for the Carabao Cup first leg, I just you know I was really disappointed. But you know it's you just got to move on and there's a lot of bigger things for City to accomplish this season. Do you think City is going to end up benefiting by having this Arsenal game postponed, give them a little bit more time to uh, recover and think about this Burnley game, and then going on to the game against Real Madrid? Yes, I, I was a little concerned with the fixture schedule because you've got to play three games after this defeat, 
And that kind of piles up because you got to play Arsenal, then Burnley, who's a really good defensive team. It's not going to be easy going into Real Madrid, but now that this game has been postponed, I think that that's a um, good sign for City to get some rest. They can kind of maybe, I guess, not slack off on Saturday uh, against Burnley, but they're going to have to, uh, you know, just put a team out there that 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 can play and can get a win. And then rest some guys that they need for the Champions League tie. I, I'd be surprised if you see De Bruyne out there this weekend. He probably won't play. They're going to get him healthy so he can play against Real Madrid. I would. I think Aguero would sit. I think Jesus would start. Uh, even Phil Foden might start against Burnley, uh, so that way they can rest a few other guys. So I think City's just going to have to make those adjustments now that they're not playing this game. Yeah, Pep Guardiola was questioned. Uh, about if his players lacked a bit of motivation considering how far ahead Liverpool were in the league and how uh, far ahead City were, uh, even though it might not apply uh, pending the decision over the summer, uh, but how secure they were in their top four position. Um, So going on to that uh, Champions League match against Real Madrid, City, of course, are leading 2-1 on aggregate with two away goals. Uh, what are you? What are your thoughts going into this one? Do you think Real Madrid is going to change their lineup? They made some notable notable uh, omissions, uh, including Tony Kroos and uh, Marcelo not being in this match. Do you see it being closer than it was in the first match, or pretty similar? I see it kind of being similar. I think City can be more aggressive just because they'll have a stronger team to me than Real Madrid. Not saying that Real Madrid is any weaker, but when you don't have guys like Marcelo, Thibaut Courtois, Tony Kroos, that takes a lot of talent out of a Real Madrid squad that could be really strong coming into this game. Uh, but I really think that City can win this match. I feel confident going into this. I don't see them dropping it after getting two away goals. It would take, barring a miracle from Real Madrid, I see City maybe putting two goals to finish it off. Maybe Real Madrid gets one back. Uh, but I don't see any trouble for Manchester City at all. Yeah, Manchester City uh, do seem to be the favorites in this tie, especially considering Real Madrid's shortcomings in La Liga. Uh, it seems to be a back-and-forth game between them and Barcelona uh, going into this stretch of games. And as we said earlier in the program, it has not been... A good week for Tottenham. Of course, David is not here uh, this week. He is back home in Pennsylvania, but I'm sure he would have quite a number of things to say uh, about this match. Of course, uh, and all the matches that they have uh, partaken in or participated in, I suppose. Um, Kane, Son, and now uh, Bergwin, their new signing, are now injured for the time being. Kane uh, could come back sometime in April, but uh, Son and Berwin uh, seem to be out for the season. And I, I just have here, um, it looks like they are lost and have no plan on the pitch. They, of course, suffered a 1-1 draw, which ended up in a loss in penalties uh, against Norwich in the FA Cup, uh, where they had to rely on Jan Tongan to score their goal because they have no strikers uh, because Jose Mourinho refuses to play uh, Troy Parrott. Uh, they drew 1-1 to Burnley in the Premier League in in a game where they were uh, very lucky to even come away um, 
with a point, I believe. Uh, they're now sitting eighth in the league, I believe. Uh, the goal was scored by Deli Alley off a penalty. Uh, Burnley surprisingly outshot Tottenham uh, 21 to 13, with eight of those 21 goals being on, or eight of those 21 shots being on uh, target, and only two of Tottenham's 13 shots being on target. We'll talk about the game that they played today in a minute, but does Tottenham have a foreseeable chance based off? the way that they're playing right now, to make it into the Champions League next season? Well, I think the biggest story for Tottenham is is all the distractions going on. I think the Eric Dyer situation, uh, after he confronted fans in the stands, Harry Kane being out, Son being out, and even the rumors about Jose Mourinho that are swirling about. I think this club has gone from being kind of at the pinnacle, like, oh, wow, we've made the Champions League final. You know, maybe we can make it again. We've got Jose now, and, you know, maybe he's going to do something special with Tottenham. And now it's going back to really just the same old Tottenham again. To me, that um, Pochettino kind of got going uh, early, late in his time there. And I think, honestly, it's I don't think they're going to make Champions League now. I think Wolves and Sheffield and Man United are starting to get a little bit more consistent. Mm. I think those two, those three teams will duke it out with Chelsea uh, in that top four race. And I think we'll see um, Tottenham maybe fall to six, seven by the end, and they may even be fighting just to get into Europa League. Dad, what are your thoughts on this? They looked terrible today. Um, I know that you said we'll come back and talk about that game. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) They just looked awful. I mean, they're they're trying to shoehorn Deli Ali into basically being the entirety of their attack. Um, Probably my, yeah, they don't have forwards other than an Mm. 18-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a problem. But an even just as large of a problem is that Jose Mourinho is now doing Jose Mourinho things. Um, he's throwing his players under the bus. I mean, his, his post-game rant after subbing, it was Ndombele, right, that he subbed Correct. out at halftime? Yes. And then after the game, uh, absolutely threw Ndombele under the bus and saying, you know, he's essentially that he's not playing for the team. He's not good enough to be on this team. Um, I, I mean, uh, you just don't see that. Um, but Jose Mourinho can't take any of the blame, right? I mean, he'll, he'll never accept the blame for the situation that they're in. Um, and so he goes looking for everything else to blame. And I guess he ran out of people to blame, uh, and started blaming the players themselves, which is, is plausible, right? It is the players who are on the field and the players who are required to play well. Um, but when one of those players is Eric Dyer, um, <laughs> playing center back today, might I add? Yes, playing center back. Then it is your fault as the manager for putting him in that position, um, and for putting him on the field and not being able to 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 identify someone else who could play that position. Yeah, Eric Dyer um, against Timo Werner was hardly a fair fight. Uh, there there were uh, there were also multiple times today where I would see Deli Ali try to handle the ball um, up the pitch and. Uh, dribble around a bit, hold on to it for about five or so seconds, and then lose it, and immediately put his arms up in the air and start walking back uh, and not chasing after the ball. Um, I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, 
James Milner was recorded before the Liverpool match saying, every ball we lose, we need to go back, we need to fight for it, not just as individuals, but as a team. Uh, talking about that pressing style, of course. And I I do not see that same fire coming from uh, Deli Alley in, in the match today. I don't see uh, the, the effort. I don't see the motivation. Um, like, like I said, this, this Tottenham team looks lost. I have written down here helpless. Um, it's, it's a bad time for them. And Leipzig did um, an incredible job today, especially uh, Sabitzer with two goals in the first half. Uh, Forsberg uh, making it his fourth goal in his last eight appearances uh, after coming on in the 87th minute and with his first touch uh, scoring. Uh, Leipzig shot 13 uh, with five on target compared to Tottenham six with three on target. Uh, the XG, interestingly, was only 1.00 for Leipzig today compared to Tottenham's 0.22. But on aggregate, uh, RB Leipzig did have 3.19 compared to Tottenham's 1.34. And I do think that in the first leg, um, RB Leipzig had a lot of good opportunities. Um, it could be argued that Timo Werner should have had a hat trick in the first five minutes uh, of that first leg. Uh but I, I just I don't see how Tottenham is going to be able to recover from this, considering the players that they have uh, at their disposal right now. They're no longer playing for anything, being eliminated from uh, the FA Cup and from the Champions League. So the only thing that they're playing for is top four or five. Um, Andy, do you think that uh, Jose Mourinho is going to change the system. Do you think he's just going to keep swapping players, or do you think he's just going to hope for the best? I just still know what more he can do because obviously the injuries are not gonna. I have not helped them at all. Like we talked about, the defense is pretty much helpless. Dyer had to play center back. I mean, they even let a defender for uh, RB Leipzig late in the game make like a sixty-yard run. And almost score, even though he, and he got wrecked at the end. It should have been a penalty, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, no, they they need help. Um, I just think the biggest thing for Jose is they're gonna have to make some transfers because uh, I think this is a long term issue. This is not a short term thing. This is something that's gonna have to be solved over this next year. And I think what they're gonna have to do is they're gonna have to go into the summer transfer window. You're going to have to buy the players that Jose wants to fit his system because I don't think all these people uh, fit his style because a lot of these guys, like, I mean, I think about Deli Ali and Lucas Mora. Uh, th- these are guys that like to be more attacking-minded more than wanting to sit on the ball like Jose likes to do. I think they're really good counterattackers. Uh, they obviously, that's what Jose likes to do. He likes to, you know, kind of sit wait and then when you get the chance counterattack and they can do that but like I just think that they don't really fit his style and I think Jose needs a uh, a guy and a lot of defenders that will uh, play that way and I think that that's going to be something he's going to have to look for uh, come transfer window in the summer. Yeah David and I actually had a talk the other week where we decided that Jose would have to make at least five transfers uh, if he wants uh, his team to perform the way 
that he believes that they can perform and um, perform the way um, that to win, really. Because it, so that uh, let me just ask. Yes. Which which five or six is he not transferring? Who who from the current starting eleven would make it into? next season's starting 11 if Jose had virtually unlimited money to spend to go out and bring the, the players in that fit his system? Who who would he actually keep? Well, uh, I, does, Would it be Son and Erickson, the first two? I mean, I think well, er- Erickson's out. I think Erickson's yeah. gone because I think they can yeah, use, they use him as a buying chip for somebody else. Well, Erickson's already oh, yeah, gone. He's, he's, he's at Inter Milan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what am I thinking. Um but yeah, I mean, I think he's a, a buying chip anyway, because like you know they got a lot of money from him from Inter Milan. But I think Sun stays, Kane stays, Loris. Loris will stay. He's a he's a good goalkeeper, even though he makes some mistakes here and here and now. You know, sometimes. Uh, I think, I think Vertonghen and um, Alderweireld will stay. I I don't know about Alderweireld or uh, actually. I don't know about either of them. They are getting on the older side, I believe. I think both of them will stay just because they've been at the club for quite a while. So I I know that David would say that Harry Winks is staying. I think Lucas Mora could stay one more year at least. Yeah, he. I mean, he did have that good game against Ajax, but he. I don't believe he's ever going to perform uh, at that same level again. But someone who did perform. Very well today was future Liverpool player Timo Werner. Um, <laughs> it's it's all but confirmed. Uh, I would say that he would be coming over to Liverpool in the summer transfer window, um, based on reporting from mainly James Pierce and other correspondents. Uh, but how how well do you think that he would be able to fit into that uh, Firmino or striker role? Yeah, I I mean, I see him. He was playing on the left for some of the time today mm. um, because he's so exceptionally fast um, that for at least large chunks of the first half, I saw him as a Sadio Mane, uh, that, that left wing forward position. And then he drifted into the center and started doing the no-look, you know, back-heel passes, um, more like a Firmino position. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, it, you know, I could see him playing either of those two positions. That's, <clears throat> to me, right, so we've, we've talked before about the fact that soccer is a weak link game um, and that you only fare as well as the worst player that's on the pitch or on your squad at the time. And I would say that Liverpool's weak link, um, especially with, um, Shaq being injured this season um, is the drop from those first choice forwards mm-hmm. to any of the next forwards, any of the potential substitutes. Um, that at virtually any other position on the field, you can find someone to replace that initial player who is nearly as good um, as the player who's who's in there. Um, so, you know, Joel Maddock could step in for either of those center backs. Um, Fabinho has played right back before Jordan Henderson plays right back sometimes. James Milner has played right back or left back. We have lots of central midfielders. Adam Lalana has shown himself really valuable. But the drop from Sadio Mane, from Bobby Firmino, or from Mo Salah to any of the backup forwards is just an enormous gap. 
which forces Liverpool into starting those three players over and over again. And it really leads to inflexibility. It makes it hard for Liverpool to change the system because they don't have another player that could step in. And I was watching Timo Werner a lot today. That He was really the focus that I was, I was not tuning in to watch Tottenham. Um, although I enjoyed watching Tottenham lose, Delhi <laughs> Ali doing Delhi Ali things, um, I was really watching for Timo Werner, and I could see how he would fit in in either of those positions. On the other side, uh, the the future backup to Mo Salah seems to be um, Harvey Elliott. Mm. Um, they're really grooming him for that position, but he's still only 16 years old, so he may not be ready quite right away. Um, but yeah, I saw I saw Werner as being. Really a good fit. Yeah, uh, Harvey Elliott, of course, has been um, tremendous in uh, in the games where he's featured for Liverpool in the Carabao Cup and uh, in the FA Cup. And uh, I think also when Minamino gets uh, to that level, of course, it took Nabucato a long time, but we're, we're finally seeing some of those flashes of, of uh, his quality that he showed um, uh, at, at Red Bull. But... Uh, I think when when Minamino also hits uh, that level, he'll be able to fill into that role as well as Timo Werner. Uh, but finally, we're going to move on to our prediction segment for next week. We won't be predicting the Man City Arsenal game because it will not be happening. But Saturday at 7.30 a.m., Watford hosts Leicester City. Leicester City, of course, coming off a 4-0 win uh, against Aston Villa. Andy, what is your prediction? I say a draw, 1-1. Draw, 1-1. Dad? That sounds pretty reasonable. I, I, I have to say, I think Leicester are flat-track bullies. I think they tend to do really well against bad teams, um, and when they come up against different opposition, they don't perform nearly as well. And I, frankly, despite Watford's position, I have been saying all season that Watford is a far better team than their league position would indicate. Um, they have some really talented players. Um, I wouldn't be surprised with a 2-1 victory for Watford. I mean, invincible no more, so I agree with you. Okay, okay. Um, well, Crystal Palace did, uh, as I said, bring Watford back down to earth after their uh, high against Liverpool. But um, I do believe with Jamie Vardy coming back into this Leicester team, we know how important he is, uh, and he's now atop of the Golden Boot race. Also, I, I think that he might be that, that factor to edge over Watford. I'm going to say Leicester to Watford 1. Uh, Brighton host Arsenal this week, um, but I suppose that that will not happen either, considering that Arsenal players will be quarantined for the next 14 days. So we will move on to North City, who will be hosting Southampton. Andy, what do you believe? I got Southampton. I just Norwich has not performed up to standard. I they've had some good flashes. I think the F, obviously the FA Cup win against Tottenham was big for them, but like I feel like in cup games it just means a lot more and there's a lot more pressure on the line. But in the league Norwich is just I think they've fallen to rock bottom. I like um Southampton. Dad uh, yeah, I was going to say 2 nothing Southampton. At least one of those goals by former Liverpool player Danny Ings. Um, I, I can't see where Norwich gets a goal in this game. Um, the bits of Norwich that I've watched recently, Pookie doesn't seem to have the, the scoring touch at the moment. Um, I've seen a lot of shots into the side net. 
but the wrong side of the side net, the outside, not the inside. <laughs> um, and so I don't, I don't see North scoring a goal, and I see Southampton getting two. Yeah, even with August player of the match, Timu Puki, I do believe that Southampton will be able to edge over to the Canaries. Um, I'm going to say Southampton 3, Norwich nil, two goals scored by Liverpool legend Danny Ings. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say my prediction. I'll go 2 nil as well. 2 nil. Uh Newcastle host Sheffield United uh, on Saturday at 10 o'clock a.m. What do you think? I like Sheffield to win 3-1. Mm. Dad? Uh, I would put it at 1-1. One, one. Um, I have not watched a lot of Sheffield. I have I have tried and haven't been able to watch a lot. Um, I would say uh, San Maximin is probably good for a goal in this one. Um, and Sheffield will probably conjure one out of somewhere. But 1-1 um, one, one is what I'm going with. Yeah, I could see that too. I'm, gonna, I'm going to say... 1-1. One, one. Those overlapping center backs are quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, St. Maximin has been performing quite well. Very good on the ball, incredible dribbler, and he can also do a flip after he scores a goal. So I think that's quite cool. 1-1. One, one. Uh, Man City-Burnley, the game that might decide the title race, uh, is also on Saturday. Andy, what is your unbiased belief? <laughs> My unbiased belief is still that Manchester City will win. Um I think it will be tough as always because Burnley never makes it easy. Uh, I like City to win. I say I'll give them two nil. Dad, I am going to go with uh, first of all the possession number. It will be over eighty percent possession for Manchester City. <laughs> um, I would not be surprised if Is they that- outshoot Burnley. 25 to 7 or so in terms of shots. Um, and I would put it a 3-1 scoreline for Manchester City. I think they're going to dominate the possession and have the ball in Burnley's side for the entire time. And I don't think Burnley is as good um, right now with the... Yes, Burnley does a lot of things well. Um, and there are things about them that are impressive, but I don't think that they'll be able to counterattack Manchester City very well. I suspect Ederson will be a bit better focused for this game. (laughs) Yes, he will. He will. Yeah, City, of course, uh, broke the record for most passes in a game against West Ham United earlier this season, and I could see them getting close, if not surpassing that number, in this game. Uh, However, I do think it might be uh, closer than we believe. I'm going to say Manchester City 1, Burnley 0. I think this game is going to be uh, interesting, but possession obviously dominated by Manchester City. Uh, also on Saturday, Bournemouth host Crystal Palace. Andy, what are your thoughts? I think Bournemouth actually pull off an upset here. Uh, I like Bournemouth 2, Crystal Palace 1. Mm. Dad? Bournemouth are bad. Uh, <laughs> they have spent all their money on Liverpool cast-offs. Um, <laughs> Dominic Solanke. <laughs> Uh, Jordan, uh, <laughs> they will have the opportunity to get the better Wilson back into the team mm. um, because he's not playing. So that will be helpful for their possession. Um, but on the other hand, Crystal Palace, I mean, they just signed Roy Hodgson to a contract extension. Um, so I guess they're expecting that he will be immune from the coronavirus. Um, <laughs> so I would put it at one to nothing and probably a 
terrible game to watch, Crystal Palace. You know what? I'm actually going to change my uh, pick. I'm going to go with Crystal Palace because I feel bad because I've been to Selhurst Park, and, yeah, I need to show them some love. I'll go 2-0 Crystal Palace. I am going to say in in a, a great show of spirit, Bournemouth just coming up short and Crystal Palace winning 1-0. Aston Villa host Chelsea. Uh, this weekend in the afternoon game. Andy, what do you think? You know, Chelsea has started to look a lot better at, at times. Aston Villa, I mean, there's, they're up and down because like, they made the Carabao Cup final, but like that was just a really good run. They didn't have to play as many tough people. I, I'm going to go with Chelsea. I think they'll win... I think 3 0 is a reasonable victory for them. I think Lampard and the boys will get it done. Mm-hmm. Dad? I would put it at 2 nothing Chelsea. Uh, Aston Villa, of course, lost 4 0 to Leicester. And Chelsea, of course, beat Everton uh, by a scoreline of 4 0. So I'm going to say Chelsea 4, Aston Villa 0 in this one. Oh, I thought you were going to say 8 to 0. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It could be possible. We have we have seen two nine nil games uh, so far this season, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, at Leicester City at Manchester City. <laughs> uh, the first game on Sunday, Sunday morning, uh, West Ham host the Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, West Ham, of course, have been struggling and are on the brink of relegation. Andy, what do you believe? You know. Sometimes the brink of relegation brings out the best in you, but this time it's not. I think Wolves have too much quality. Uh, Raul Jimenez, uh, Diego Jota, and Jao Moutinho are some of the best players in the Premier League, and they're very underrated uh, because everyone looks at the top six sides. But Wolves are getting up there, and I think they're going to win this one. I'll say 3-0. 3-0. Dad? Yeah, I like that prediction. I uh, I like to watch Wolverhampton a lot. I really enjoy what they're doing. I think they have a really clear idea about what they're doing. Everyone understands it throughout the whole team. Uh, but they are they are a joy to watch. Now, of course, West Ham have David Moyes, um, and so they're going to do David Moyes things and lose. I would say two to nothing. Um, Moyes will have them playing some pretty stout defense much of the time, but Wolverhampton will definitely find their way through. Uh, Wolves, of course, are two points behind Manchester United, uh, currently in sixth place, so they do have the opportunity to jump up into um, that fifth-place spot if they do beat West Ham. I I think that Wolves will win um, 2-0, comfortable scoreline. Uh, Raul Jimenez will probably score both of them. Uh, Sunday... The other game on Sunday, and probably the the most interesting, uh, is Tottenham hosting Manchester United, which will be a real uh, test for Spurs after uh, their uh, poor showing this week. Uh, Andy, how much do you think Tottenham will lose by? (laughs) I mean, both these teams, you just, you never know how stupid one of these teams are going to be because, you know, as much as I'd like to say Man United's the favorite, you just you never know. Like Man United could come out and do something absolutely ridiculous and give Tottenham a win. I mean, it, anything can happen. Uh, obviously, it's in Tottenham, so I think that's going to give uh, the Spurs 
a little bit of a chance, but I see this one ending in a draw, honestly. I think it's going to be 2-2. Ooh, interesting. Dad, what are your thoughts? Uh, a painful game to watch will mercifully come to an end at 1-1, one to one, and then you won't have to talk about it much next week on stoppage time. Mm. I I do think that um, the, the quality in Manchester United's midfield, of course, we talked about Bruno Fernandes, but also legendary Fred uh, is uh, monumentally better than what Tottenham have on the pitch right now. Um, I, I still struggle to see where the goals are going to come from uh, for Tottenham, considering that their last two were uh, off a penalty and from Jan Vertonghen. So I'm going to say Manchester United 2, Tottenham nil. And then on the Monday night game, possibly uh, the coronation of the uh, foreseeable title winners. Uh, Everton hosts Liverpool in the Merseyside Derby, of course, uh, the first match of uh, the first Merseyside Derby of the lead league ended in uh, a five to two win for the Reds, and of course the uh, Liverpool B team beat Everton in uh, the FA Cup, uh, uh, proving true. Bill Tran- Bill Shankly's quote: "There are two teams in Liverpool: Liverpool and Liverpool reserves." Um, Andy, what do you think the scoreline will be? You know. And I'm going to do this one for Roger Bennett of the Men and Blazers, mm. a li- <laughs> lifelong Everton supporter, uh, very very brave man, uh, I must say. Um, obviously, Liverpool dominates this fixture most recently, uh, but I think this game means more. It means a lot more to Everton. Uh, obviously, they have not had a great season. It's been very poor. Uh, but there's something about games like this, and I, I think of it as this. Everton is the Auburn of Liverpool. They mm-hmm. suffer at the hands of Liverpool, who are the Alabama of the city. Uh, but Okay. But <laughs> Go on. you know what? It's games like this that they always find a way to spool the party, and I think Everton will get a draw out of this. They're not going to win. I, I, if they win, it would be incredible. But they're gonna win. They're gonna draw one-one with Everton or with Liverpool. I mean, uh, and s- s- just hold off the title just one more day. Uh, Dad, perhaps you can talk some sense. Wow, <laughs> um, I would love to. However, as we discussed early uh, earlier, Martin Atkinson is the referee for this match. Oh, yes, I had uh, forgotten he that. Brings, he brings an element of chaos and unpredictability to it. And VAR. Makes this one challenging. Um, another point that I would I would remind everyone of for this game is Alisson is injured and will not be available, which means Adrian will be playing goal. Uh, Adrian is good, probably the best backup that there is. Um, but not as good as Allison. Or Claudio Bravo. Oh. Um, Yeah. Also, um, Jordan Pickford is the other goalkeeper in this game. So Notoriously tiny arms. Lizard arms. (laughs) Um, So there will be goals. That much I can say. I would put it at probably, uh, my best guess is a 2-2 draw um, with controversy. 
Yes. I I am uh, going to say that, yes, there will be goals. There will be controversy. But I, I do believe that the, the motivation, of course, Liverpool did travel to Everton last season, and it did end in a nil-nil draw. And that was in a tough uh, uh, rut of games for Liverpool where they went on at, at four draws against Leicester, West Ham, Everton, and United. But I, I do think that uh, this season, uh, especially after Everton's loss against Chelsea and just how how weak they looked, they only had three shots and one of them being on target in that game. Um, I, I think even with Adrian in goal, Jordan Pickford being in the other goal is more of a liability for the Toffees. So I'm going to say Everton 2, Liverpool 3. And that will be the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to another episode of Stoppage Time. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm posting tweets now, and in my opinion, they're, they're quite good. But thanks again for stopping by and join us next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.